on the other side, we are trying to put as much as we can to the outside because we believe that it should be authentic. We don't like mm. hide things. And if we, if we also fail, we are not having this culture of like, shouldn't be. Yeah. There's also like this open innovation approach here that if people, minds, employees have ideas, they should put it out and both an open source or conferences. And so they shouldn't do this internal stuff and this culture of sharing. I think what most people outside do not know is that because it's not so visible that we have really this idea of if somebody has an idea or even if people are coming to us both from partners employees or even customers with ideas that we are like totally open up to founding new companies and especially like looking at recruiting most companies fear if somebody comes and says i have an idea or i want to start a company somewhere in the future they mostly block we say, like, and that's quite the opposite. Welcome to the World Class Leaders Show. This is the one and only podcast for ambitious and high achievers, professionals who want to become world class leaders. In this podcast, we deconstruct the success of high performance leaders, share their stories, and teach the most effective strategies to move from average to greatness. This is your host, Andrea Petroni, a high performance and leadership advisor, executive coach, and keynote speaker with more than 20 years of international and executive corporate experience. Welcome back to a new episode of the World Class Leaders Show. And today I'm um, very happy to have with me Michael Mlinarski. So Michael, and of course I made it wrong, so I'm sure that Michael, you should have probably pronounced it differently, but I did my best. You will tell us. So Michael is a computer scientist who by accident, or maybe not, founded Quality Minds, and now he's the CEO of Quality Minds. He has around 20 years experience in software engineering, testing QA, as well as agile leadership. He's building high-quality products, technology trends, enabling people to grow. He managed to found quality minds and several startups in the past 10 years across Germany and Poland. And on a private side, he loves mountains and motorsports. Welcome to the show, Michael. Welcome, and thank you for having me. So the reason why I invited Michael, because he was referred by a good friend that is someone I trust, and when someone I trust normally refer me to a speaker, I normally get it. And I had a great conversation prior to this recording with Michael. And I think it's something interesting to share with all of you. So Michael, before we start talking about Quality Minds and your experience as a CEO and what's going on in a company in the future, et cetera, I would like to understand a bit more about your experience because you co-founded many companies. So what is the drive? What is the drive of founding companies is it over or there will be more in the future? <laughs> I think it will never be over, like a yeah. drug, so to say. And the reason why is I think like both as a software engineer, as co-founder, founder, whatsoever, I like to build stuff, which mm. hopefully makes sense, makes added value and so on. And the point is like, if you see problems in a daily life, you have two possibilities. Point one is like to claim and say there's a problem and blah, blah, blah which most people unfortunately do. And the other thing is like, try to solve it. 
And by mm. trying to solve it, you can also solve it systemically by founding companies. And this is like the drive, like to have like both fun at building and making hopefully something meaningful. I love that. And you're right. I think people, when they see challenges out there, they really have two options, you know, just disregard and complain as you just described or trying to solve them. Is this something that was already in your DNA or something that you maybe developed along your career? <laughs> Very good question. Like maybe like for the background, my parents or like the majority of my family are not in the business. They are more, more in the public sector. They are teachers mm -hmm. and so on. Therefore, I'm not sure if the DNA's point would be good here. But what was common is like this problem solving stuff. This is something which we have in, in the DNA, like trying to solve problems, not only look at it. And I think it was the first reason for that, like founding the first company, which was actually Quality Minds back then, which is like the biggest one uh, which we have right now, was while really seeing problems and then not stopping on the claiming or saying that their problems are there, but trying to solve it. But I don't think it's like a DNA thing. And on the other side, I think it can be learned. It's not something which is like some, you know, like this magic myth of the founder or CEOs, which are like the masterminds and heroes and know it better. You can learn it, but you have to want it. You have to have intrinsic motivation for it, but you can learn it. Yeah. And I'm glad that you touch on intrinsic motivation. That's really great when you have it, right? Or yeah. when you find a way to let him surface. And also, I think if I can summarize what you said, I think the level of curiosity is really make a difference. So when you are curious enough to make sure that then you want to go deeper on things, and try to understand why things are the way that we see them, how we can solve them. So I love that. And by the way, we all come from a different education. So I think maybe my family probably doesn't have the DNA that probably, well, certainly they're not, definitely they don't have the entrepreneurial spirit. So it's something that we learn, I think, as you said, along the way, along the journey, based also on what we see in the world, right? So Michael, if I'm not wrong, you co-founded actually Quality <laughs> Minds, I think with Robert, is that right? Exactly. Okay, so you co-founded Quality Minds in 2012. So you approached the 10 year, or you reached the 10 years mark, right? So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. We had a glorious party some weeks ago. I'm sure. For the third anniversary, therefore, yeah, it's pretty fresh. Yeah, and all this time, you now have, as far as I understand, more than 300 employees in a different location. You will tell us a bit more. It also says over 30 million euros. So it sounds like really the you have cracked the code. So in terms of growing and scaling, but tell us a bit more about first, what Quality Minds does. Mm -hmm. We are at the core, we are a consulting company tackling quality. Our vision is, we have this vision statement, which sounds a little bit Steve Jobs bolt-like, but we mean it, that we believe that high quality improves the world. Why mm. do we think it is? And why is it an interesting topic? And now after 10 years, it's also proven that it's a business to go is because technology is like all over the place. Every single company out there is somehow a technology company and a lot of bad quality in terms of software. You probably also realize it like well, using apps or B2B applications and so on. And we said, okay, at the core, we want to solve it. And we want to tackle this point that there is a lot of bad software quality out there. We have mm. a lot of software engineering know-how, and then we can offer it to the market, but on the same side, this bold statement about the vision, what we are doing is tackling another problem, the problem of how organizations are being structured, how they learn and how they like 
two-day business. I won't use the words agile, new work, and so on at this point. But nevertheless, like we said, okay, we want to, our vision is like to tackle this software quality topic. We want to improve it and we offer our customers consulting services on that in many different areas, many different countries and enterprise sizes. And on the same side, we're offering services for how to learn in organizations, tackling this other part. And both, if you take it like together, are tackling the main challenges in digitalization, which is not always about tech. <laughs> yes. And yeah, that's what we're doing. Okay. So you have some global clients. I know you're working with global clients. So give us some example of your clients. Let's take like two or three maybe different domains, which we are deep into it. First, maybe the public sector. For example, one of our biggest customers in the public sector is the German Employment Agency or the IT organization of the German Employment Agency, which probably nobody knows is the biggest IT organization in Europe in public sector. And there we are offering our services for many, many years in huge projects, which tackle like hundred thousands of users on an everyday basis. Then we are in, for example, in the insurance area, Munich Re, Reinsurance was one of the largest yeah. insurance companies here in Munich, of course, like the name says. And we're also offering there both in terms of technology, but also other topics, services, as well as, and maybe like to give you an impression on the other area in the automotive sector, for example, coming from Munich, BMW, as well as going to the other OEMs topics around autonomous driving, for example, which is like for now the like high tech or top-notch technology, which we are taking there in all those clients are there are topics around product development, software development, consulting services, okay. like to name those three. And of course there are many more, but yeah. mostly nice. Yeah, but anyways, you got some good clients out there. So when you work with the organization, what do you see when you work with them in terms? Because, you know, you mentioned as well, your expertise in agile leadership and the work that you do. So if you look at, not from a technical standpoint, because most of the people in our audience probably they don't understand computer science. Maybe that's not a good topic for the conversation, no but more about leadership. What do you see in terms of how they operate that maybe needs correction, needs some sort of insights and support from companies like Quality Minds? Mm -hmm. Where do we start? Maybe you start with a topic that, because of course, speaking about agile leadership, all people, we take all the tech stuff by side, all people think about like what those methodologies like Scrum, Kanban, and so on. But the main point about this is to find your own way, what right way to design your organization, to pursue leadership, and so on and so on. When we go to clients, when we talk about the topic of what do those organizations have in terms of challenges, in terms of leadership, and so on. They mostly struggle with the topic that on the one side, they have a business to do and they have an organization which was created for several years ago and it works and somehow of course works. It, it worked the last, whatever, 50, hundred years. <laughs> and then we have the challenges which are currently in the market or in the world as such, like complexity, right? Things are changing. Also, people coming to those organizations are different new expectations on how to work with each other and so on. And there is the, where the, when the, those two dimensions collapse because they are systems which have been built, like organizations been built for the last 50, 100 years. And there are those market, especially complexity challenges. And this is, to brutally honest, by accident. <laughs> Why? Because we founded a company based on another model than we knew from the enterprise organization, which we have worked before. And 
there's the word like agile organization, agile leadership, new work. Back then we didn't knew even that there were keywords like that, meaning self-organization, meaning trust, meaning full transparency, meaning like decision-making by teams and not only by some single point within the organization. And we built our company this way. And now coming to an end or like long story short, if we are working for customers, then in the past, those customers asked, okay, this sounds interesting how you organize, how your company culture is and how you make decisions or how fast you make decisions and so on. And how you perceive quality, learning fast, fail fast and so on. And then it started that we tried to like take our knowledge experience and does it help to the single customer? And this is how all the topics around agile coaching, agile leadership, trainings, shadowing, strategic consulting, how do you change the mindset towards a new way of thinking and so on started, which we also do currently. But as I said, it started by accident in terms of customers ask us how we organize and thought, okay, this could be meaningful or some added value for them. And especially in a topic which is far away from tech in terms of learning, how people learn nowadays. And this is also something which we're currently offering to customers, which delivers value in this whole change management, do you like abstract terms? Yeah. So if I understand correctly, what you say essentially is you come across organizations that maybe they have a very old business as usual approach. And yeah. when they work with you, when you essentially start working with them, what you realize is you need to start to change in their mindset or helping them to see things in a different way before going into the technical elements of the business. Is that right? Yeah. And nowadays, and this is where the implication is, if you do tech nowadays, if you build software, build products and so on in a modern way, I won't say agile, but it's also included there. Then you fastly realize if you want to do it in a modern way, if you start to do it, you realize, okay, it's, there are implications that you have to change your processes, you change your mindsets and so on. And then one leads to another, you are talking about, okay, I have to change some of my organization not only because of this tech, but it like it speeds up the process of changing. And this leads to mostly to discussions, good relations, workshops, and so on with customers, where we try also to show how can it also work in another way. And the one thing which we are recently heard from a customer, at the beginning, <laughs> they didn't know which added value this change could have for them. And then Corona came, then different complexity topics and so on. And now they were totally prepared for them, for that. Before that, they wouldn't even like start those changes because they didn't see the need for that. So COVID has accelerated the pace of change as well. So they are much more open right now and ready to change, right? So I think what's interesting, what I can pick up from what you say, essentially, you know, we always see IT or technology solution based on this more like tactical tool things just to change. And the reality on behind the scene, it's really about leadership, mindset, changing the way of operating. It's really about change, as you said. So I expect that when organizations are not ready to change, they will be also difficult to integrate any big important IT modifications, a way of working from a technology standpoint. Is that right? Yeah. And you see a lot of examples on that, especially... There is the so-called Conway's law mm. that software systems are being built based on the organizational structures, communication structures of the company. And if you look at the enterprise world, they are mostly used to build those big ships, you know, like because 
it's good it's, it's proven and so on and nowadays you need a lot of small ships which can yeah. work together and we help them by learning how to build those smaller ships and this also includes mostly the organization in the surroundings so to say not only yeah. tech yeah totally and also you said that you're working with public service companies so that there will be definitely another challenge for this all right so michael let me understand a bit more about the growth stage of quality mind so you started i suppose as all type of startups like one two men show and then it became over 300 employees and over 30 million euros as we said so what has been in your experience the key for this you know reasonable success for the organization since one part of me is very motivated by the topic of strategy i could say okay of course we had a very good strategy the strategy works no risk at all whatsoever but it wouldn't be true and there is this one sentence which is called like the culture eats strategy for breakfast and that's true also in our case why i think we started quality minds back then based on several so-called anti-patterns which we saw elsewhere and we said okay we we have to see if it also works in another way which mostly somehow related to culture therefore since the beginning we are talking a lot <laughs> about culture we are living a lot this like experimental culture of testing things and so on with a lot of trust i'm like a person like always from the beginning i give 100 trust i don't want to waste time to build trust the trust is also already there and it's also implemented in the company and if we ask our customers also we, we do retrospectives and try to think okay what was good and what was important in order to grow and not lose focus and not like that people go and in a, in a high fluctuation rate, then it was always culture. And of course, culture can be something which we can discuss on a very philosophical level. <laughs> but nevertheless, the way we work, the values, the openness, and, and this is something maybe agile, this short iterations and making no difference. And of course, the CEO is needed, especially for the outer world, but for the inner world, we have no differences. Our company has no single person which would like fear to say something because I'm a CEO and we try to live this culture in like as always. And long story short, I think the main reason why we are there where we are here right now is because people feel that this culture is authentic and also mm. customers feel that it's authentic. It's not like a fake on PowerPoint. And mm. it makes it easier because then as a CEO, it works in a lot of self-organization. You are not the single point of failure anymore. And it scales in another way than it would use if I would be like more the all things on my desk and I decide all the things, which is not the case here. Yeah. And actually, I like how you just described, you know, it's not anymore the only point of failure. So that's interesting how, how you describe it. So in other words, essentially strategy it's key is it's probably has been the reason why you have been able to grow and scale the organization, but then culture really made an important for the success of the firm. How did you deal with keeping this culture based on behaviors that you mentioned about openness, transparency, cooperation, I suppose, while you were growing? I mean, you're growing in different countries with different cultures within the same culture. Did you find easy to maintain the behaviors and the values that you have for the organization while you were scaling or was it more challenging than what people think? It's a very good question. 
for now with those over 300 people from far more than 20 different also nations, cultural backgrounds and so on with a lot of diversity. Now it's like a system which works. And now we have an understanding also of diversity and why is it important mm. to work the way which we work and what are our core values, but it was not always the case. And we had several points the 10 years, especially within the leadership team. And I think this is the key factor for scalability in Asian organizations. If you design a system, a company, a system in a way that you have this like hierarchical decisions, if you have a very strong, for example, HR, which like things that they know exactly how to recruit people, which we don't, we have HR as a support, but all the teams are hiring and signing contracts by themselves. Always like people hire people and not like HR hires people. <laughs> and I think this kind of that we really try to have a leadership team, which has a mindset, this openness, trust, self-organization and so on. And this is something which then multiplies to the teams. This is the reason why it works. And of course, several up and downs the last 10 years. And also the leadership team changed completely from back then in the first three years. And now <laughs> I think there's only one person which left um, from the beginning in the leadership team, but it's like normal state while growing. Nevertheless, this mindset has to be the same. I think we wouldn't be there where we are right now if this mindset wouldn't be in place exactly, especially in this leadership team. We have only one hierarchy, if you name it like from the outer perspective, which are team leads, which have a kind of servant leadership way of and coaching leadership style. And we are totally into it for every single person which comes to this leadership team that this has this mindset. And this is how it scales. And then we prevent this typical politics bonus thinking of not only about money and not doing the right thing, preventing self-organization of having like leaders which like control all the stuff by themselves and so on. And it works. I'm totally 100% prove it that it works. Yeah. So yeah, positive. Yeah. Wonderful. That is great because you started with mindset again, back to mindset. And I think that is a powerful way to drive behaviors in organization and have that consistency and alignment with the leadership team definitely is, is critical. So Michael, let's shift gear a bit. So I would like to understand a bit more about your personal journey as a CEO. I mean, you started as a founder and then you became a CEO and now you have a much larger organization. So how did you manage your personal transition from being just you and now leading a company <laughs> over 300 employees? What is the secret of personal transition? As a computer scientist, I have studied computer science. I've like worked as a programmer in different roles and so on. Back then, if we would met 20 years ago, you would see probably a Michael with a computer saying, Andre, give me a nice technical problem and leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's typical, you know, like nerd, geek. Typical so nerd, on. yes. Exactly. Up to where I am right now, this motivation for building, for changing, and also for like having happy people around me. I can solve problems. I can make maybe some more lives happier than it was before. But what changed? I think I had a, to learn a lot, a lot, a lot more about communication. Because before it was more like in this single scope and now we have to have this holistic way of thinking and all the different problems, topics, challenges, whatsoever, numbers. You have somehow like in chess or like in a flying as a pilot, you have always have to look about all the different <laughs> areas. What definitely changed is also decision-making. 
and having this thought about responsibility that not making a decision is way less more than making maybe the wrong one and then correct it mm -hmm. therefore decision making therefore the case and i think motivating people because my personal opinion we are like what here in germany three uh, ceos and in poland there are also two and in the single startups there are also single ceos but i always say like we have to be the ones even if it's bad to motivate people to mm. give them space to give them like safety and so on and so on because if we run the whole day with like bad mood and so on this will definitely multiply and therefore there's motivate even if it's not for you personally the time to be motivated you have to be it yeah so bring positivity and hope and to make sure everyone is aligned but also motivated to go extra miles so and a lot of listening i think this is like the major skill for leaders which is not always the case definitely not to speak but to listen to people yeah wonderful that sounds like you are acting really as a great ceo so congratulations on your approach we'll see what other people say about you but exactly exactly <laughs> that's the case because ceos you have to ask the people which are working with me then it's approved yeah <laughs> yeah yeah totally so what are the challenges that you see now so we look at the past we looked at the challenge that you faced while you were scared in terms of strategy and then mm -hmm. culture and then how to motivate people you learn essentially on the job how to become a leader essentially starting from a very independent solitary role as a computer scientist So what are the challenges right now for you? I mean, for you or for your organization, but also, yeah, I'm, I'm interested for you because I'm sure that you want to scale it. Let us know what's the plan, of course. Mm -hmm. But what's the new challenge for Michael as a leader? I think I have to distinguish two different areas of challenges. The one mm -hmm. challenge is like my personal challenge. Yes. I'm the person you know, like, which is highly motivated for ideas. Okay. people working with me and they know like I've always ideas and of course I try to realize as much as possible of those ideas but I have to learn the next like from now to tomorrow have double the number of startups or double number of business areas we have or innovation projects and so on and so on therefore for me personally the challenge is like even if we have more resources both in terms of money and also people you have to watch out not to start too many new ideas because mm the system somehow can collapse with it even have an infinite money maybe which is not the case here <laughs> having good earnings but we cannot start research projects for some millions up tomorrow therefore one challenge is, is motivation to start new ideas and not too many and prioritize i was going to say is priority setting so just making <laughs> sure that you follow only few good ideas maybe and not all of them exactly and by the way since we are having a culture where everyone can have an idea every employee has five days a year which they can spend on whatsoever ideas that they want to those ideas of course are growing not only in my mind but also in the organization and then of course this point of how do you tackle the whole system not only myself and i think the other challenge which is of course related to me but more to my role is the growing complexity i think we found ways how to scale in a fast manner as, as an organization but of course we are constantly asking ourselves and i am asking from my perspective how do we reduce the number of meetings how do we have lightweight communication and not like having like five jour fixes a day 20 people sitting there and only what two people contributing whatsoever and then of course this complexity multiplies because we are in different countries because we then have startups 
Then we have whatever connected projects with other companies. We have a huge ecosystem of partners. We have also founded companies where we collect what 200 different companies across German and Germany and Austria. And this complexity, so to say, is the biggest challenge for now. And I personally think that it can be only tackled while doing experiments and testing new stuff. Because for me, going to the standard setting, if you look, and I never did an MBA, but I read some books. <laughs> if you look at the standard organization types, they say, okay, the standard way is to build a hierarchical system, try to develop in business areas and grow the communication structure to new roles or new hierarchy levels. And this is something where we say, okay, we see examples out there, which it works in another way. And we want to find our own way how to deal with this complexity and grow and scale at the same time. This is strategy from the strategic perspective, the main challenge which I have right now, besides this highly motivated persons with too many ideas. So is the complexity you see every single day based on market constraints or the external factor or more about internal in terms of how, how the business, because it's growing, finds more complexity while they're operating, or maybe the clients, they are more complex than before. So it's a combination of all of them. I think it's a combination of both of them because to make it very simple, what we could do is to say, okay, we don't start any new business at all. And we simply go with, uh, with two, three core competencies for the next 10 years. And we grow only there. We see both that the market demand is there and say, okay, how about whatever machine learning? How about sustainable IT and so mm -hmm. on and so on. Therefore the market says the market needs, and we see new possibilities. And on the other side, we know, okay, from the strategic point of view, if you don't change, then you will be changed and it's too late. And yeah. therefore this diversification and looking for new models up to the startup ecosystem is something both market-wise and what well, well, we all know that we should do it and we see possibilities there. Yeah, this is like both. It's yeah. Both sides and I think that's particularly true what you just mentioned in technology space when there are so many new trends coming up every single year and then you need to decide really what stand you want to take here because otherwise you could be really dragged into developing knowing more technologies that they don't have any either positive impact or they're going to take too much time they don't have to go to market i think that is probably key right for an organization like yours you have to be both fast like also fail fast and while we having quality in our name we of course want to do stuff and topics within the business area we want to achieve at a certain level and that makes it somehow sometimes easy like to prioritize as you said in a way which makes more, both sense for us internally and also for the market. Okay, so if we summarize the two major challenges is priority setting and then driving through uncertainty due to all the potential forces that every single day you find, either internally or from the market or from the clients. Totally right, makes sense. So what is the future of quality mind? So if we look at maybe the next five, 10 years, are you building a compelling future for quality minds? You know, let's see where we go. Let's see where we get every single year. In other words, has a vision really created an element of commitment and motivation in your team to be aligned with your culture, with your way of doing work? Or the vision has been maybe not yet developed, at least for the future growth of the company? Growth is a good keyword to start. We both, for the next five plus years, we want to grow, but we don't have growth goals. 
Mm. We don't say we want to grow up to 500,000 whatsoever. Yeah. We always say we want to grow in a way together with the people having the feeling how it feels and how we deliver and what is the quality level. Therefore, I couldn't say to you where we will be in five years. It could be 10% or it could be like 1,000% more. We definitely know where we want to go and which follows our vision is the one point is to say we have this vision to tackle this quality topic and mm -hmm. to have it and to really making an impact we have to be known in the market at the customers with projects with references which make impact which make meaning like in five years or in ten years some major companies out there start new projects and they say, okay, we have a very sophisticated problem and this is related to quality. Then like the synonym for that would be, we have to call the quality mind, so to say. Then we are like in place. And what is also important for us is like taking this culture aspect, which I talked before, to an international level. We already started with Poland. We are in, um, in the Netherlands. We recently started in Spain and therefore like taking even more in a very distributed, remote way, which we work from the beginning, we want to take it in a new level and be like in an international manner. And on like a small side note, since we have this innovation idea, we always wanted to build products, which is another business area. Back then we were also can achieve impact and there the startups come into life slowly. And this will also grow the next year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and I'm so actually glad and relieved actually to hear someone is working in technology and considering culture really as a facilitator, as an enabler of performance. While we know from the media how many, especially from California, many technology firms actually they terribly fail in terms of developing the culture that, that brings performance actually is the contrary. So Honestly, really, it's great that you focus on culture and you believe in culture as an enabler. So that's amazing. Now, Michael, maybe last question about this episode. I'll have a final few quick questions for you. But what people don't know about being a CEO, because we mentioned about the challenge that CEO facing, what people don't know about you and the life of a CEO behind the scene, behind what we don't see on the website, <laughs> behind what we don't see on LinkedIn, on the media, or maybe at the event. Probably a lot. <laughs> <laughs> On the other side, we're trying to put as much as we can to the outside because we believe that it should be authentic. We don't like mm. hide things. And if we, if we also fail, we are not having this culture of like, shouldn't be. Yeah, like, private, um, very confidential, keeping for ourselves, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's also like this open innovation approach here that if people, minds, employees have ideas, they should put it out and both in open source or conferences. And so they shouldn't do this internal stuff and this culture of sharing. I think what most people outside do not know is that because it's not so visible that we have really this idea of if somebody has an idea or even if people are coming to us, both from partners, employees, or even customers with ideas, that we are like totally open up to founding new companies. And especially like looking at recruiting, most companies fear if somebody comes and says, I have an idea or I want to start a company somewhere in the future, they mostly block. We say like, okay, then that's quite the opposite. <laughs> if somebody has a nice idea, let's try for it. Let's discuss it, like make something and let's make a startup whatsoever. And this is something maybe which is not so from the outer world visible currently. We're working on that. Why I'm saying that is, because one of the visions back then of Quality Minds 
was also to having like an ecosystem that it's not like only one company that could be lead to to several companies in the future and this is something which is not mostly visible from the outer world okay so that's from an organizational standpoint but from a pure <laughs> personal standpoint and i agree i think the point that you made in terms of organization and looking authentic on the outside is a privilege i think it's not many organizations mm-hmm. they don't necessarily show authentically outside but you just maybe want to to mm-hmm. picture an incredible word as a firm, which is corporate yeah. branding, essentially to attract talents and maybe customers. My question now is more about you as a CEO. Mm-hmm. So what is your life normally behind closed doors? <laughs> what happens behind closed doors, essentially, that okay. people don't know about you? First of all, there are no closed doors. I think the door right now is closed because we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always open. Maybe something which is sometimes I realize it also while discussing here, that this aspect of having fun, what you are doing in all the different terms, and even like doing like world parties with employees and so on. For me, it's like always this carpe diem approach. Mm. If we do something together, then let's do it like in a very extensive manner. And really this having fun in a daily way, of course, is somehow related to this motivational part of the CEO, but like I say, as a human, if I work with people, and this is most of the time of our lives we are spending at work, then it should make fun. And I'm not sure if it's like, if we ever talked or showed it, how much fun we have on a, on a everyday basis, but this is something maybe very important, intrinsically important for me to have people around which have fun on the stuff which they are doing. And this could mean anything. Like it doesn't have to be like the business case for enterprise customer XY whatsoever. Whatsoever we do, it should make fun because then the probability of success for everyone is much way more higher than yeah. simply doing nine to five, right? Yeah, and fun is a great thing. I'm glad that you mentioned that because fun is is a facilitator as well and another enabler for motivation. So if people feel happy to work for organizations, so that's great. All right, so Michael, I love um, the few questions for you. So quick question for a quick answer. So. What has been maybe one thing that you really learned across all your career, among many others, but there is one maybe that really made a difference? There is one word for that, and it's trust. Everything you do, and this is always, and as I said, 100% trust from the beginning, first giving and then taking. Whatever I did the last 20 years, it was always the point to, for like the reason for success and to trust people. Yeah. Wow, great, fantastic. And on the other hand, that's more a personal level. Has been anything that you would have maybe done different in your career or you're just happy with what happened? I do not regret anything, but (laughs) I think I would like back then, like also now to travel more and to learn more countries than I did until now in my life, both personally and business-wise. Nice, nice. In terms of learning, so how do you learn? Especially in terms of either reading or maybe you have a different source of learning. What is your favorite? And if it's reading, maybe what is one book that really made an impact for you? Reading is very close to how I like to learn. But of course, experiencing stuff, going for conferences and so on. And reading also online is a lot. But in terms of books, I love books. Book smart sometimes guy. And, you know, this book street street smart guy. And in terms of book, there was one book which really made an impact and it's it will be also the next 10, 20 years. An essential part also here is the Big Five for Life or the Big Five for Life. I'm not sure if you heard about it. 
No, it's um, from John Streletsky. It's probably more known in the German area, I assume. It's a business storytelling about a founder which was very successful and had like a lot of companies and so on. And the whole basis of his success was that he asked people, what are your big five? Like the big five in Africa and Safari, where you okay. try to see them. And what are your big five for life? And he said, if I understand as a founder, as a CEO, what are your big five for life, then my job has to be to be as nearest as possible to your big five, because we both then have the highest chance of success. After reading this book, it's like a very small one. <laughs> I said, okay, this will be my question in whatever interviews or learning people to understand what are the big five. For and it works pretty well since 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, so that question leads to understanding better the person who's in front of you, what are the aspirations and goals, the personal motivation, I suppose, right? Wonderful. All right. So, Michael, thank you so much for taking this episode conversation with me. I love it. I think you share some great tips. I'll remember some of them, definitely. Certainly the element of culture, the element of the uncertainty, setting priorities, but also in the challenge, other things that you described today. So where people should go if they want to know more about you, Michael, and your work at Quality Minds? The best way would be to approach me directly. I'm pretty active on whatever LinkedIn, social media, Twitter, and so on. I'm always happy to learn new people, whatever, drink a coffee, drink a beer remotely or in person. Therefore, I'm always happy to learn new people. I bet how to reach me, social media would be probably like the best way to go. Awesome. I will put the link on the website and the show notes, but also about your website. Michael, thank you so much. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you too. Have fun and see you.